Shore Vineyard Church audio podcast. Today on the podcast, we have a message entitled Compassion in Action. We are looking at the parable of the Good Samaritan uh, that starts with the question of who is my neighbor? We're moving from that into kind of how we deal with uh, the recent horrible, tragic events that have happened uh, in the last week. What is our response as Christians? What does it mean to do the hard work of love and be God's kingdom people who are living out the future in this present world? So let's go ahead and head to the talk, North Shore Vineyard Church, downtown Covington. Thanks for listening. going through the the lectionary for close to a year now and the lectionary is just a, a, a it's a, a collection of five different passages that churches from around the world different denominations use in their worship services and it follows the church calendar and so this week our our passage is Luke chapter 10 verses 25 through 37 this is one of the most familiar parables uh, of Jesus. Even if you have not grown up in church, you probably know something about this parable that is commonly referred to as the parable of the Good Samaritan. So it's on the front of your bulletin. Those of y'all that still have bulletins that I haven't stolen them from. Um, Luke chapter 10, verse 25 through 37. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? And he answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Bingo, Jesus said. You have answered correctly. Just seeing if you're awake. Do all this and you will live. But he, wanting to wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? And the expert of the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus said, Go and do likewise.
There are three ways that I see that are quite often ways where religion, and I'll speak specifically of, of Christianity, where Christianity can go astray, and we can end up with something that uh, is not following the original intent. The first is the type of Christianity that separates us from one another. It's, it's just, it's all about, uh, you know, pulling away from society and pulling away from other people. The second type would be escapism, where we make everything that Jesus did be about just going to heaven when we die. It's just trying to escape this world. And the third one, as is common today, is kind of a civil religion, where the main function of our religion is to fit in with society. But when we look at, say, Peter and Paul, or even the other disciples, who were all martyred because of their faith, we realize that it wasn't for any of these three reasons that they were killed. They were killed because they had this crazy announcement, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. You've heard that before? Maybe said it. Doesn't seem that controversial to us. Uh, But if you were living in the first century, every coin that you had would contain the phrase, Caesar is Lord on it. Caesar's Lord. So what did the church do? They took that phrase that was propaganda for their empire, and they said, no, Jesus is Lord. And by saying Jesus is Lord, it it was not just simply a proclamation proclamation that 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 god is omniscient or omnipowerful it was jesus is lord and caesar is not our allegiance is not to rome it's to god himself see the disciples they were announcing that god's kingdom had broken in you know you want to know what the gospel is i i grew up and, and this was what the gospel was conveyed to me and likely, if you've grown up in any evangelical tradition, this is the gospel that you got. Uh, Jesus died so that if you pray this prayer, you can go to heaven when you die. Like, that's the whole point. You will not find that in the New Testament anywhere. You don't find Jesus leading people in, 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 in the prayer, uh, uh, the sinner's prayer, so that they can go somewhere else when they die. When you hear the first reading of the gospel on the day of Pentecost, it's, it's basically, I'm, I'm paraphrasing here, condensing it. God has started something new in Jesus. His kingdom is here, and Jesus is king. And in light of this, and, and, and to prove that Jesus is king, God raised him from the dead when we crucified him. When God took the sin of the world upon him, when we gave him all that we could send our worst sins into him, God vindicated Jesus as king by raising him on the third day. And now that Jesus is king, we are called to reorient our life around him as king. That's the gospel. It's not, yes, does it include the afterlife? It does. But God's primary, Jesus, when you look at his teachings, he doesn't talk a whole lot about going somewhere else. He talks a lot about things that actually matter in this world right now. Right? When we come to this parable, Jesus is confronting a type of religion in his day 
that had come to devalue people. And when we look at the Pharisees, the Pharisees look like bad guys, right? I mean, when you read the Gospels, we're like, oh, them Pharisees. Because Jesus always seems to be so hard on the Pharisees. But if we look at the three major religious groups in the first century in, in Judea and Jerusalem, the Pharisees is actually the group that Jesus probably fit in with the most. The Pharisees sprung up about 150 years before Jesus came on the scene, and they were a reform movement. They saw that, that, that the Jewish people weren't taking their religion serious, and, and so they, they're like, we need to shake things up. We need to do this better. And their, their premise as Pharisees was that if we follow the rules good enough, if we show fidelity to the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, if we do this thing right then God will look down from heaven. He will be impressed with our purity, our holiness, and he will send the Messiah to rescue us, to make Israel great again. And so they set about to be pure. And, and as a reform movement, the Pharisee movement started off really good. It was something necessary. But by the time Jesus comes on the scene, the Pharisees didn't have just the several hundred laws of the Old Testament, they created a couple hundred new laws. And the problem that, that we see Jesus addressing here is that they had come to value laws over people. They, they obeyed the, the, the letter of the law, but violated the spirit of the law. So what is going on in this parable? I, I think... Most people know, I mean, we hear the words good Samaritan in our culture. Everybody knows what that means, right? You know, you talk about somebody that does good to somebody in need. You know, somebody that's stranded on the side of the road. That person was a good Samaritan. We support an organization here at Christmas time every year called uh, Samaritan's Purse. But you know that, that word Samaritan? In the original, the original people that Jesus was speaking to, you can take whatever group in society you despise the most, you know, if you're a Trump supporter, it might be Hillary supporters. If you're Hillary supporters, it might be Trump supporters. It might be Muslims. It might be rich people, black people, poor people. You can take whatever group of people that you have the hardest time with and just put their name in there. And, and you might get a little close to what Samaritan meant to the Jewish people. Here's, what's, here's where Samaritans came from. Back uh, a few hundred years before Jesus comes on the scene, there was the Babylonian exile. Babylon invaded Israel and took many of the people captive back to Babylon. The best and the brightest, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, if you ever heard those stories. That was during the Babylonian captivity. But there was a handful of people that stayed back in the land. And they actually started intermarrying with the other uh, people groups around there. It was actually forbidden for them to do that in the Old Testament, but they went ahead and did it. And so by this time, several hundred years later, this group known as the Samaritans, they were a mixed race. They weren't pure Jews. And not only that, their religion was all wacky. They had bad theology, bad doctrine. They, they didn't know how to worship God right. They had all kind of strange ideas about how God was. And... And so the Jews hated the Samaritans more than anybody, maybe even more than the Romans, probably. There's historical accounts of, of what the Jews, would, the Jews would actually call Samaritans dogs. 
We're not talking like the golden retriever that sits on your couch. If you go to the Middle East still to this day, like dogs are not like seen as like, I'm going to have a pet dog. No, they're seen as pests, like rats. And Jews would actually just call, call the Samaritans dogs. And so when we read this story, if we understand a little bit of the historical context, we realize Jesus is doing something crazy here. But not only do we not understand the part about the Samaritan, I think we misread the part about the priest and the Levite. How many of you, when you've read this story before, just kind of thought like the priest and the Levite, they're just kind of cold-blooded, man. I mean, see, see a guy lying in the ditch and they just walk on by on the other side of the street. Anybody ever thought that? It's just me. Okay. Never mind. <laughs> I'm going home. Um, <laughs> I know when I've read this story before, oftentimes I just think like, and I've even heard it preached like this. It's the priest, man. He's got to get to church. He's busy for Jesus. And I'm like, well, I, I see how that could happen. But what is really going on here, the, the key to it is seeing that word half dead. This guy was, was beaten by robbers, stripped naked, and left half dead lying in the ditch. In other words, if you walked up to this guy, you'd have thought he's dead unless you got down and felt his pulse. He looked bad off. And for the, for the priest and the Levite, they both served in the temple. And they were forbidden to ever touch a dead person. In fact, they were forbidden to even get close enough that their shadow would be cast on a dead person. And so contrary to be, being cold-blooded, this priest and this Levite, they're actually trying to be faithful to the law. When we start out this parable, the, the whole parable starts with, with a, a, a teacher of the law who is trying to trap Jesus. He's trying to test Jesus. Um, what must I do to have eternal life? Jesus says, well, what do you think? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said, yeah, bingo. That's right. Actually, we know that that was Jesus' favorite teaching. He, summed, he said the, the whole Bible can be sold, summed up in that. But who is my neighbor. See, the thing is, in this story, the Pharisees, the, the religious elite of their day, they would have conceived of loving God and loving people as being faithful to the Old Testament. So the part that strikes us is scandalous in this story when the priest and the Levite walked by this guy lying dead, half dead on the side of the road. It wouldn't have struck the Pharisees as anything scandalous. Of course, that's what you would do. If you saw a guy that looked dead on the side of the road, you go to the other side. That's what you do. Because that's the way you love God and you love people. After all, priests and Levites, they are the mediators between God and their people. It's an important job. If they really love people, they'll get to that job. You know, it's kind of, it's kind of ironic, though. Uh, historical sources actually cite that Jewish people, not only do we see in this story that the, that the priest and Levite walk away from a guy who looks half dead? But Jews, they had a practice. If they saw a Pharisee, I mean a Samaritan, they would actually walk on the other side of the road. Samaritans were as good as dead people to most Jews. And so what is so brilliant about this story that, that Jesus shares 
What is so scandalous is that the good guys from their culture end up being bad guys in the story. And the good guy in the story is actually a bad guy in their culture. And Jesus paints these people who are trying to trap him. He paints them into a corner. Well, who do you think was the neighbor to the guy that fell among the thieves? And they couldn't answer anything else except the one who showed compassion on him. Couldn't even say the Samaritan. (laughs) I can imagine them gritting their teeth. The one who showed mercy. Jesus says, go and do the same. In the Old Testament, you know, if, if we think of any covenants, how many of y'all are married in here? All right. If you're married, you are into a marriage covenant, right? This ring that I carry around on my finger, this is a mark of a covenant. This means that when women see me, they see he's taken, you know, he's off the market, right? A lot of disappointed folks, I know. <laughs> That's why I make my wife wear one. But these these rings, they say that that I belong, I'm not my own. I belong to somebody, I'm in a covenant with somebody else. When we have a marriage ceremony, we sign a certificate that is that is uh in front of witnesses and we register it with the state. We are, we, we are in a covenant together. As, as a covenant relationship, we uh, do things together we don't do with other people. The same thing under the Old Testament, there were markers, marks of the covenant that you could spot Jewish people by. And the markers were circumcision, Sabbath keeping, dietary rules. You know, when I went to uh, Israel a few years ago, I saw a lot of these Orthodox Jews. And they're, it's like you don't confuse them for anything else, you know. Uh, it, they have markers, I mean, they, it, they got the curls hanging down. They, they, they've got all these things that say we're a part of something, and you're not. <laughs> Those are the markers of the covenant. But Jesus, and it's interesting, the way this whole starts out, Jesus quotes Deuteronomy 6, or the, the, the guy quotes Deuteronomy 6. What is, the, what is the way to eternal life? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That was the prayer that the Jewish people prayed morning and night. It was the most frequently prayed prayer, the Shema Israel. But Jesus takes that frequently prayed prayer and he modifies the whole thing. Because he, he makes the point in this parable. You think loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and loving your neighbor as yourself is serving in the temple and keeping your hands unblemished by other folks and other situations. But Jesus says, no, this is a new day, a new kingdom, a new king. And in this kingdom, it's love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself as you follow Jesus. And how do we love our neighbor as ourself? By showing, just, just in case we, we miss it a little bit. Because I've heard those guys at Westboro Baptist that go and picket the, the funerals holding up signs, you know, God hates America. You, you, you hear some of them interviewed, they're like, oh, we, we, we're just, we're, this is love. Really? <laughs> Jesus makes it clear, the way we show love is by showing mercy, showing compassion. It's through our actions. That is the markers of the new covenant.
Now, the other morning when we meet every Wednesday or most Wednesdays with my teaching team to talk about whatever passage we covered the previous weekend or whatever's coming up. And so we were having a discussion Wednesday morning over the parable of the Good Samaritan, just kind of, you know, shooting around some ideas. And like many of y'all, later that morning, I, I saw the first of several, several horrible videos um, that we would see this week. Maybe you haven't seen them. Don't go looking for them. And my heart just began to break. And then later that afternoon, there was another video. And I just found myself feeling just so sad for where things are in our world. And then, in, and then the next morning, there was another video of another situation. And then later that night, we hear the stories of 10 cops getting shot in Dallas, five of them fatally killed. And I found this week, if I ever believed in Jesus, I believe in him now. Because I don't think there's any other hope for our world. We are so so locked in in, in, in our addiction to violence and retribution and racism, different things going on. And it's on all sides, too. We're so locked into that. The only thing that I can see that, that gives us a way forward as humanity is the teachings of Christ. Jesus, you know, I, I, on Facebook this week, I posted several things just about loving. And I know some people just think, oh, that's just hippie talk. You know, peace, hope, love. It ain't. Jesus wasn't crucified simply because he taught inspirational sayings of Hallmark cards. And the apostles weren't executed because of their inspirational platitudes. No, they were announcing a new day and a new king. The world has a new Lord. It is Jesus the Christ, the Messiah. The proof of this is that God raised him from the dead after the powers of darkness put him to death on the cross. Those who walk in this way are forgiven of their sins. Now rethink your whole life and live accordingly. To follow Jesus is in a sense to live the life of the future now in the present. We're not just going about these sayings of Jesus because we think they're the best thing to do. We are actually living what we believe is the future reality. In the future, there will be no racism or violence or war. People will be united through God. So, and, so today, the world should be able to look at the community of Jesus' people and see a picture of the world that is to come, 
a world in which racism is given no place, a world in which violence is condemned, a world in which mercy is extended, beauty is beheld, grace is given, forgiveness is shared, grudges are extinguished, murder is eradicated, compromise is an art, understanding is valued over being right, kindness is pursued, and solidarity is a gift we give to one another. And this will not come without persecution. And there's a very good reason that Jesus, right after saying, blessed are the peacemakers, he followed it up with, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. For the way of peace is dangerous in this world. Where are we to go in light of recent events? What are we to do as the church? Number one, I will say we pray. We take our fears, our sadness, our frustrations, our anger, our insecurity to the Lord. We pray for those charged with serving and protecting in our community. We pray for the black community. We pray for our leaders. We pray for understanding that we could be open to what God is saying and doing, that we could be filled with the Spirit. We pray for that. That's what we're doing in worship, folks. We're coming to God. We do these things as individuals. We do them together. We do them around the table of the Lord. We do them with songs. But we also pray that God would reveal our sins to us. I love the prayer of the psalmist. Search me, Lord, and know my heart. Try me and know my ways. See if there's any wickedness in me and lead me in the path that is everlasting. We ask God to reveal our sins the way we so easily dismiss others with which we disagree, the ways that we let the media and social media shape our beliefs rather than Jesus, the way we so easily advocate for violence, the racism in our own hearts, the ways we treat others as objects, as opinions, as ideologies rather than as persons. And we ask God by his grace to transform us to be bearers of his light in the darkness, his love, and his healing. I think the first thing that we got to do in the midst of this all, and look, I'm without words. I don't know. I don't know what ways forward. I hear all kind of political solutions, all kind of folks saying this and that. I think the first thing we got to do is pray, God, help us. Help us to discern what to do. Help us to be led by your spirit right now. And take out the junk in our own hearts so we can see clear. Take out the plank in our own eye so we can see clearly to correct things out there. Secondly, we need to be people of compassion. I love what David Augsburger says. He says, being heard is so close to being loved that for the average person they are almost indistinguishable. Isn't that true in your own life? Have you ever noticed that? Like people who genuinely listen to you. I get a few of them on Sunday mornings. Um, <laughs> people who genuinely listen to you without trying to fix you or judge you or convert you or sell you on their thing, but people who genuinely seek to understand you. That feels like love, doesn't it? And the other side is when somebody doesn't want to understand you or doesn't care to listen to you, how does that feel? I, I, I can't think of anything that I hate more than when somebody dismisses me, 
They look down on me. They don't want to understand me. They don't care to hear me. That's the most frustrating place to be in my world. So I found myself on Thursday afternoon after watching, you know, in my whole life, I've never killed anyone, never seen anyone killed. And this week I've seen two people killed. And I found myself on Thursday afternoon fighting hopelessness and despair, just my heart breaking. I was crying several times. And when I was in New Orleans, I talked to a friend of mine, a black friend, who I just said, you know, tell me what you're thinking and feeling right now. And she shared with me for a few minutes. And then I said to her, I said, look, I don't know what it's like to be persecuted because I'm white. But I sure it seems like all my black friends, especially the guys, know what it's like to be pulled over for stuff that doesn't matter. To be harassed by the police. That's a a normal experience. A lot of my friends have gone through that are black. I don't know what that's like. It's not the world I live in. I said, so what can I do as a white guy? Because I think part of my despair is I don't even know what to do. How can I help with any of these problems in the world? And she said, you're doing it right now. She said, you're doing it right now. I learned a few years ago a a difficult lesson. I'm as opinionated as anybody, okay? And I think if everybody did things the way I think, the world would be a better place. (laughs) But a few years ago when the Ferguson protest started um, blowing up, I learned how important it is when these kinds of events that involve racial relations, revolve the the police, how important it it is for us to not just retreat to our opinions, but to actually do the hard work of talking to police officers and talking to people of color and to just hear their stories. Just let me know what reality is like for you. I'm not trying to change your mind on anything. Just share with me. And it is in those conversations that, that, that we open up a space where, where God can, we can behold his spirit at work within us and through us. We create, as my favorite quote when we started this church, hospitality is not to change people but to create a space in which change can take place. We create a hospitable environment for the spirit to work in us and in them. Compassion begins with listening, folks. Listening to each other, not shouting at each other or over each other. And finally, action. We refuse to let the divisions of the world divide us. We don't get co-opted by the factions of this world, but stand in the middle as reconcilers of Christ. And this is where it gets really hard because if you're really going to follow Jesus, you're going to feel torn apart. <laughs> you're going to be feel like you're in the middle of things and, and you're going to be taking flack from both sides. That's the ministry of reconciliation. I put this um, next thing that I want to end with, I put this on 
my Facebook page the other day just as I was trying to, 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 to work through all this stuff and realizing, like, I was putting up a bunch of quotes about love, but I know people kind of, oh, that's cute, that hippie stuff, that's nice. Uh, it won't work in the real world. But these are the thoughts I want to leave you with today. The temptation that we all face in light of recent events is to get so entrenched in our own opinions and repulsed by the opinions of others that we stop seeing one another as persons and only as positions or opinions. The hard work of love is to not let our opinions or the opinions of the others become barriers to relationship. The hard work of love leads us to honest conversations in which we are willing to listen to others who may be different or may even have a different understanding of the world. The hard work of love is refusing to treat people as stereotypes and instead to see others as brothers and sisters, no matter what their occupation, race, or social standing. The hard work of love is to talk to one another and not down to or over one another. In times like these, fear, hatred, and violence are the easiest of choices. But choosing love is not the stuff of Hallmark cards, rainbows, and unicorns, but it is a willingness to do the hard things, to get uncomfortable, to get our hands dirty. May God grant us the grace to do the hard work of love. So I just want to pray for all of us today that, you know, whatever it looks like in our world, whether it's running across people that are literally broken and beaten by the side of the world, by the side of the road, the side of the road, or whether it is just in our everyday interactions with people or even through social media or our conversations, that we could be people who are hospitable to others, that we could be a force of compassion and love, that we could live the future reality of the coming kingdom of God in the here and now, and that people could know there is a king Because when they look at us, they see that we love. That is the main marker of our lives. Why don't you stand? We're going to close with a responsive reading. You will read the things that are in bold letters after... I read the stuff that is in non-bold letters. And this will be our closing prayer. O God, visit us now in our mourning. Blood has been shed. Precious lives have been lost. Evil has had its say. We acknowledge the hold of racism and prejudice have on our national psyche. We acknowledge that violence has been matched with violence and many are in pain and distress. We pray now for the church in America, part of the body of Christ on earth, that it may be a voice of peace, working for reconciliation and unity. 
We stand in solidarity with our brothers and sisters, all races, all skin colors, all ethnicities. We stand against racism and injustice. We stand for love. For all the ways we are complicit in perpetuating racism. For all the ways that we have hidden the light of Christ. For all the times we have kept silent. For all the times we have capitulated to fear of ridicule and retaliation. For all the ways we've given over to apathy. For all the ways our own prosperity has blinded us to the needs of others. Protect the innocent, O God. Open the eyes of the blind. Rout out the unjust. Thwart the plans of the greedy and the power-hungry. May Christ, who reimagined death, give us inspiration for how to move forward. May Christ, who set upon rising from the grave, peace be with you, bring us into his kingdom. May Christ, who did not retaliate but offered forgiveness, share with us his vision. Lord, have mercy upon us. Amen. If you'd like some prayer today, come up to the front and we will have our prayer team here to pray with you. Otherwise, go pick up your kids because I ran late. God bless.